Hey, I'm Andrew. And I'm John. Our show, Magnified Pod, is the only podcast that discusses culture, religion, politics, and deep dives into the discographies of the bands that shaped a generation of 90s youth group kids. Check out Magnified Pod on the Rock Candy Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. In this episode, I speak with the gentleman skeptic Mick West about the topic of UFO disclosure. We discuss the press coverage of UFOs, the weird inner workings of the Pentagon UFO program, and whether or not there is good evidence to support the claim that we are in the presence of mysterious, unearthly technology. And by the way, the UAP report that we discuss in the episode is now available, and I recommend that everyone go read it. You can find the link to it in the show notes. Mick West is a video game programmer turned skeptic and debunker. He is the author of Escaping the Rabbit Hole. He is a YouTuber, podcaster, and the founder of Metabunk.org. But before we get to the conversation, I have to thank my patrons. My patrons are my personal lords and saviors, and I truly could not do this without them. This show takes an enormous amount of work from scheduling interviews all the way to the final product. And if you want to support my show, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. And for just a few dollars every month, you get content each week. Finally, Eleventy-Seven, who does the music for this show, has a new single out. It's called Wild. I'm going to close the show with the new single. And if you like the single, please go follow 117 wherever you listen to music, be it Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. That really, really, really helps my friend who is the maestro for this show. All right. Well, with all of that finally out of the way, I am delighted to bring you my conversation with Mick West. Mick West, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Very glad to be back. Yeah, so we talked, I think, back in 2019. I can't exactly remember when. It's been a few years, a couple of years. And when we talked, UFOs were in the news. They were, you know, it, it was kind of coming back into the mainstream. The New York Times was doing articles about mysterious things in the sky and then this guy named Lou Elizondo broke into the public arena and To the Stars Academy became a thing. So things were pretty wild. Things have only gotten wilder. <laughs> yes, things certainly have. It's very interesting uh, what's happened over the last few years. It's been quite the, the upwards trajectory. I think yeah. in a way it, it kind of feels like like a natural progression in some senses, uh, because we did have that initial, uh, the story in the New York Times was the thing that I think allowed it to break through into the mainstream. You have the New York Times doing a story on something, it kind of gives it a bit of gravitas and uh, people built upon that. And the people who were kind of you know behind that New York Times story we're continuing to do to do similar things. Like Leslie Keen, the one of the writers, has continued to write more stories, as has uh, Ralph Blumenthal, one of the other writers, and the people leaking the information to them. Um, the Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo have continued to do similar things over the years, and here we are. Here we are. For people who have no idea what we're talking about, can you describe what that article was? that kind of sure. broke this into the mainstream? Yeah, the article was called Glowing Auras and Black Money. 
And it was kind of about two things, really. Uh, it was about the existence of a Pentagon program that studied UFOs, essentially. At least this is the claim. And it was also about a couple of videos that were released around the same time, essentially given to the New York Times uh, by some people who were involved with that program, but now they no longer were. So this, this black money refers to a specific amount of money, $22 million, which back in 2008 was um, kind of arranged by Senator Harry Reid, who I think then may have been the House Majority Lead Democrat. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, was it the Senate? Yeah, his, I, I can't remember now, but yeah, big politician, Harry Reid. Everybody knows Harry Reid, now retired. Uh, and he, he, he and a couple of other senators, I believe, yeah, uh, got the, this, this thing called ATIP on the books. Basically, it was just like a small earmark in the Pentagon budget, $22 million out of a $600 billion budget was earmarked for this, this one program, which was ostensibly, and this is the interesting thing, it wasn't actually about studying UFOs. The, the public-facing description of this program was to study advanced aerospace concepts, which meant basically trying to figure out where we, we would be in 10, 20, 30 years regarding uh, like things like 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 jet planes and uh, uh, forms of propulsion and things like that. So so but just to pause you right there. Yeah. So the premise of a tip, you know, like the big news, like the Pentagon mm -hmm. has this top secret program which is studying UFOs. That is a false premise. Well, uh, it depends on who you ask. Okay, <laughs> if you look at the uh, the original tender for the 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 program the, the 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 thing they put out there to get get bids on the contract it it doesn't say anything about studying ufos or as they call them uaps mm. it just says it, it will be looking into these advanced aerospace concepts but we're told that there was a secret agenda behind this that people would would know when they actually got the project but it's, it's very strange how it came about mm. i guess it isn't that strange but you know harry reed you know, got the earmark, and then it was put out to tender. And the only person who applied for the the project was Harry Reid's friend uh, Robert Bigelow, who you know lives near him in 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 Nevada. And they got the project. Alien enthusiast billionaire, like yeah, an alien UF enthusiast billionaire. <laughs> yeah, <It's> a, <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's very interesting. Like, and uh, this this this. It's something that resonates throughout the entire story. We've got this guy, Robert Bigelow, rich guy, is worth like $600 million or something like that. And uh, he, got, he made his money. Uh, I think it was in a, uh, a, a hotel chain or a motel chain. Yeah, motels. Uh, and then he kind of uh, cashed in a bunch of that and started this Bigelow airspace. And he's basically said that he, he started to make money with the aim of doing this this space focused thing and this this study of uh, UFOs and the paranormal, and he's done a bunch of other stuff. He bought Skinwalker Ranch, which people may have seen on TV and in various uh, various uh, like documentary films about this thing, which is this this ranch in Utah, which is nothing special about it. It's just this barren patch of land and rocks. Uh, but people think that, that it's haunted or that it has some kind of uh, transdimensional gateway that attracts UFOs or the UFOs come out of and sometimes like werewolves come out of it and things like that. And so Bigelow bought this and kind of investigated it. And, and there's interesting connections to government programs and things like that where uh, people who worked as government contractors ended up working at, at Skinwalker Ranch this whole kind of murky past to to this this where we are now. If you go back far enough, you'll find this stuff out, and it, it all kind of goes back to Robert Bigelow. Hmm. So it's like the not quite invisible college. Who who is the one who coined the the phrase the invisible college? Was that um? I believe, believe it was Jack Vallee. Yes, Jack Vallee. So this is, and, and the whole premise of the Invisible College is that there's like this this invisible network of scientists mm -hmm. and and uh, 
uh, government people studying this thing, this alien phenomenon or this UFO phenomenon. And so this is like the not quite invisible college. It's like Bigelow and a lot of, you know, this this strange kind of network of really powerful people fascinated by this subject. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Go on. Oh, I was going to say there, there are, you say very powerful people, but lots of powerful people have an interest in the subject, but they're not really super involved in it. I think the highest ranking mm. person you could get is probably Harry Reid. And Harry Reid is actually very careful to stay away from the more esoteric aspects of it. Like he, he's quite explicit in stating that he's on the side of science and not on the side of trying to prove it's aliens. Uh, but you know, I think that perhaps is something of the politician in, in him. He knows it's not a very, very popular um, position for the mainstream to be a, an, an alien believer. So he, he stays away from that. Uh, but you get lots of other people like, say, John Podesta, who was uh, Hillary Clinton's chief of staff, and even Hillary Clinton herself, like saying things like, wouldn't it be interesting to find out? And now even uh, Barack Obama says things, but it doesn't mean Barack Obama's like, interested in aliens. It just means he has, you know, something of uh, an int- uh, knowledge of the situation that people are saying that there are things that we can't identify, and it'd be great if we could identify them. Hmm. So I think there's a lot of, like you say, it's this semi-invisible college, and you don't really know exactly what's going on or the depths of it. And I think it kind of actually gives an illusion that there's actually a lot more to it, yes, than there actually is. I 100% agree with that, and. What I have found really frustrating as I have had a passing interest in this subject for years is just how little there is beneath the top of this iceberg. You know, like there's this sense with the UFO subject that it's like, okay, you see the top of the iceberg and it's super intriguing. And, you know, there, but then you try to drill down a bit deeper or you try to see what's beneath it. It's like the the advertisement, the 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 what you are led to believe is that there is this really deep underground truth and like this network of things to be revealed beneath it. And what I've consistently found is that there just isn't much there beneath the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like no, it's something it that, I've, uh, that I've that I've kind of struggled with, actually, because I really want there to be something. Like, I really want there to be more to this thing. But then I go down a bit deeper, and the iceberg just isn't there. It's just water. Yeah. There's a lot of promise, and a lot of people making promises. Exactly. And people saying that there is data and that there is evidence uh, for, essentially, alien visitors. If you look at what, say, Lou Elizondo is talking about. Now, Lou Elizondo, for, to put this in the context of what we were talking earlier, is the guy who uh, is said to be the head of this, this program, the Black Money program that was, was mentioned in the New York Times article, a program called ATIP, which was started by Harry Reid and uh, given to his friend Rob Bigelow, uh, was kind of run or coordinated or managed by this guy, Lou Elizondo, who who is a guy from the intelligence service who works in the Pentagon. And he, it seems, during the course of his tenure there, became strongly convinced that there was a case for for the existence of aliens, essentially. At at the start, he was a little bit more cagey about saying this, but now he says quite explicitly that he thinks there's only an infinitesimal chance that it is um, some kind of conventional human technology, like it's you know, Russian drones or Chinese drones or American technology or anything like that. He thinks that's basically there's hardly any chance of that being true. And he thinks it's uh, likely something that's extraterrestrial or he goes on to say uh, ultra-terrestrial or extra-dimensional. He actually goes and suggests that there are things like, you know, uh, quantum dimensions and things like that, that perhaps these are beings from another dimension and we've got to study quantum physics. And it's all very, very woo. It's very uh, mm-hmm. pseudoscientifical and not really based on, on evidence at all. It's kind of you know, surprising that you know, he eventually came to this, this position, but this is where we are now. 
And I think a lot of people who follow the story in the mainstream media don't actually realize to the degree uh, to which these people actually kind of go beyond science and are positing things that are really quite extreme, like things from another dimension, or even in some cases, things like time travelers. Uh, they, they they use the term ultra terrestrial, like it's it's not hu- it's humans, John Keel. That's but, John Keel's term, yeah, not, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's not these humans. It's some other type of humans that either perhaps they are humans that left the planet and came back, or perhaps they're time traveling humans, or perhaps they're humans who have been living deep underground for a long time, or perhaps they're terrestrial but not human, like some kind of uh, non-human race that's living under the oceans. You know, these are things that are very speculative and completely without evidence and really aren't necessary as explanations for for what we're seeing, which are just still essentially basically just mysterious lights in the sky and strange returns on radar. We don't really have any really great evidence of these uh, supposed amazing craft. And so the leap that people are making to extra dimensional beings is really quite ridiculous. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, what you were just saying about like the mainline news, not, and and I mean, really prestigious outlets like the New York Times, not seeming to grasp the pseudoscience in this situation. And I guess I guess my question is why the credulousness like why the that is not something that I would expect from Mm-mm. an outlet like the New York Times like they have fact checkers they have they they presumably have you know I don't know how any of that shit works but I assume that they have like filters that a story has to go through in order to be published. And so why the credulousness from presumably very professional and mainline and prestigious outlets that have that has just given wings to this in- entire story? Like if it weren't for the New York Times and then several other outlets like really shining a spotlight and lending credence, this story wouldn't, I don't know if it would be a story. Yeah. And so like well, why th- the credulousness? I think there's there's a number of reasons. Um, the main one, I think, is that what they wrote about uh, in the first story, Glowing Auras and Black Money, even though it contained a number of uh, factual inaccuracies, uh, they were difficult factual, factual inaccuracies to check. Um, but a lot of it was was actually factual. So they're, they're talking about this, this ATIP program, which is a real thing. And that's actually a real story. The fact that there was a $22 million uh, spending on this this program is actually something that can be verified. It did actually happen. The money was spent. Uh, the fact that these videos exist is also true, and the, they they show things that you know, aren't directly explained, and they were not explained at the time, and they're still not fully explained now, even though they they turn out to be less interesting than they appeared at the time, and then. Uh, you've got to look at the three authors of of the the paper. Uh, there's three people: uh, Helen Cooper, Ralph Blumenthal, and, and Leslie Kane. Two of those authors are people who write about things that are essentially supernatural or UFO type things. Hmm. Uh, Ralph Blumenthal wrote a book about uh, essentially alien abductions. There's a a Harvard researcher, I think it was Harvard, some, some a researcher uh, from some university called John Mack who did a lot of research into alien abductions, essentially, people who, who had these experiences of alien abductions. And he was very, very credulous and really very friendly towards these people and basically gave them a lot of credence and is kind of saying these alien abductions are real when all of these alien abductions really are not based on any real evidence other than the recollections of the person who thought that this thing happened to them. Another person there is Leslie, Leslie Kane, Leslie Kane has written books about UFOs before. She's written a, a book, I think it's called UFOs and Generals or something like that, um, and which was about how there are people who believe in, in UFOs uh, who are in very high positions of power. But it, again, it's kind of a, a book that essentially is strongly suggesting that UFOs are real. And since, since then, she's written other books about life after death, and she said she essentially believes that 
uh, when mediums have seances, things actually happen. She gives she gives an account of some disembodied hand touching her or some disembodied voice or something like that when she attended a seance. Uh, so you've got people who, even though they won't come out directly and say it, are kind of very sympathetic to the the uh, alternative views of, of science and reality, essentially verging on the supernatural. Uh, and then we had Helen Cooper, who was a bit more of a straight-laced reporter, but still, I think, to some degree, sympathetic to that position. So you've got three, three reporters on this story, and that gives it a certain gravitas. If it was just one of them writing it, it, it would be, I think, a different thing. And uh, perhaps the fact-checkers and the editors will pay more attention to it. But you can write a story that's fact-checkable and passes the fact-checkers that still has a lot of a slant. That has assumptions or points in a direct or, or is suggestive of things that aren't verified. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, people take different things from the story. Leslie Kane has said that she was kind of disappointed that people focused on the videos because for her, the point about the story was that there was this secret program. But for a lot of people, this this secret program, there's very little details of it in there. And it's kind of boring. It's, it's kind of like uh, you know, political horse trading, Harry Reid and uh, his friend and things like that. That wasn't that interesting. The interesting thing was evidence of UFOs. So the videos became the story. Uh, and I think that's that in, its, in itself, you know, because the bulk of the story was about this, how this money got spent. But then the public reads the story and they're like, New York Times like shows video of UFO. It's a video of a flying saucer. And, you know, UFOs are yeah. real. Government admits UFOs are real. They take different things from it. And then the New York Times, lots of people read that story. And I think it's kind of like a you know bite of the poisoned apple or, or the uh, forbidden fruit. Uh, huh. Once you start uh, getting the taste for that that type of thing, it's kind of a, in a way a little bit of a slippery slope. It you've is got, like this story. You've done it in a certain way, so it's fact checked and everything, and yet it's this exotic subject that gets loads of attention. You can do another story along the same lines and fact check it just as much, but still have that slant. And mm-hmm. you know, that's what happens. They did a bunch of more stories along the same lines. It's fascinating, and it's like giving people a taste for this story and like here's the thing i feel like i am open-minded to a fault like i'm i feel like i'm actually willing to believe that there are ultra terrestrials flying around the planet like that would be fucking insane but like the universe is an insane place i just want evidence i guess (laughs) like i feel like i'm willing to believe a lot of shit a lot of crazy shit and maybe that's my temperament maybe that's like my my personality i don't know it mm-hmm. would it would upend our entire everything like it would it would upend our model of of everything and so that would be an issue but i just want evidence that's it and and like yeah. rigorous evidence and so it's like the fact that we have like Every single one of us have these incredible devices in our pocket called a smartphone where we can take HD footage and and like why why do all of these videos still look like they came out of the fucking 50s like yeah. with with the the military that had and the and the Pentagon that has like access to some of the most incredible technology on the planet why the hell does it look like that does it is it the same quality of footage as like that Bigfoot video from I forget when it was uh like a gazillion years ago that yeah, that was that's 70s, so, I think. yeah that's so like grainy and terrible and it was eventually proven to be fake like i would like yeah. this to be true but like i said there's nothing there's just nothing beneath that iceberg there there, there is there is very little there are a lot of promises of evidence and then there just isn't the evidence yeah there there there's a number of disconnects there's kind of two main disconnects i see in the the ufo field one is a very simple uh mechanical disconnect between eyewitness testimony and uh photographic evidence yeah now you, you talk about um cell phone videos we all have 4k cameras in our pockets now which is is, is true and self 4k video is is almost on a par with uh, human vision 
it's perhaps like maybe half the resolution of, of human vision, just based on me like looking at planes and taking pictures of planes and then looking at what you can see. So it's pretty good. Uh, people point out that it's not that good at taking pictures of things that are far away, and which is also true. So if you take a picture of, say, the moon with your cell phone, it generally doesn't turn out very well, uh, or, or or a plane, you know, it's going to be fairly blurry. So so that is true. However, the disconnect is that a lot of the eyewitness accounts are of things that are much closer. People describe seeing things in in a lot of detail. They'll describe things like seeing. Uh, a line of lights or even windows or they'll see shapes or they'll see legs underneath the craft or they describe the the shape of the craft and uh, various little details on it or they'll say it was hovering over trees just just 300 feet away or it was right by overhead and then when you look at the actual footage if there is any then it's it doesn't look anything like that it looks like it's something blurry and out of focus it's much further away Yep. So we have these people's claiming that the, the things were close and we have devices that are capable of taking pictures of things that are close. But all we get is photos of things that are too far away to tell what they actually are. Uh, so this is you know, a huge dis- disconnect that people have been observing for for, for many years. You know, there's jokes about uh, how... Bigfoot is naturally out of focus. It's just so furry that it's just completely out of focus. <laughs> and maybe and people joke. They don't even joke about it. They actually make similar claims about UFOs. They have like a reality distortion field around them, which uh, creates uh, uh, blurriness around them, so you can't focus on them. Yeah, that's super, actual claims that people make. That's super. However, convenient. people <laughs> claim to have that with their eyes to see things that are pin sharp and they see exactly every detail and even mm-hmm. see like rivets in the, the surface of the, of the, of the object that somehow you can't take a photograph of it. And then, then you get people arguing that it, it, there's some fields where you can see it with your eyes, but not with a camera, which is you know, pretty much nonsense because eyes and cameras work in almost exactly the same way. They have a lens we have an array of sensors in the back of, uh, of, of the or eye or in the back of the camera and it gets translated into an image. It's almost exactly the same. Uh, the eye is a biological analog of uh, of a digital camera, an analog version of that digital camera. Hmm. Then the other big disconnect is something you, you you kind of touched on there is is that it would be a big deal if this was true. Uh, it would be a huge deal. It would yes. be perhaps the biggest thing that's happened in all of human history if yep. we were to make contact with an alien race. And it was even if that wasn't the case, if we if it was simply anti-gravity craft flying around or warp drives flying around. That's a, a, a quantum leap in, in human technology that would revolutionize the entire world. So we're talking about a defining moment in human history from one epoch to the next, like you know, pre-warp drives to post-warp drives or pre-alien contacts to post-alien contact. It's, it's this defining moment. And yet we get these shitty little boutique programs like Harry Reid's $22 million. Yep. <laughs> We've got almost nothing from the government or the military. We got we got uh, Marco Rubio going, eh, yeah, maybe it's aliens, but yeah, maybe not. We don't Probably know. Probably not. We'll, we'll find out. But we'll... I got things to do, so I'll talk to you later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This disproportionate response. If yes. it really was that important, it yeah. You know, do you know how much the F thirty five program is going to cost over its lifetime? One point mm. six trillion dollars. Wow, that's like. Yeah, the, the America's budget, entire federal budget for a year, I mean, obviously it's spread over like, you know, whatever the 30-year lifetime of, yeah. of the program. But we're going to spend $1.6 trillion on the F-35 fighter, which is this new super fighter. It's got lots of computers and things in it. It's really good, apparently, even though it's got lots of problems. And if this if this if people's suspicions are true, we've got these amazing craft flying around. It's completely obsolete and you know, pointless having this fighter because this thing's going to just like whiz around and run rings around it. So you know, why are we spending $1.6 trillion on something that's that's obsolete and and yet we're spending $22 million on on checking to see if it is in fact obsolete? You know, if, if there's good evidence that this technology is obsolete, then it would be the most important priority for the U.S. military and probably the U.S. government to do. And they should be spending billions and billions and billions of dollars investigating yeah. it. But they don't because the evidence is crap. Yeah, 
Exactly. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. It's like, oh, that's kind of weird. Let's just throw a few dollars at it. And and in terms of the budget of the Pentagon, whatever, however many million it was that Harry Reid set aside for it, that really is like a few dollars. That's like loose yeah. change. That is nothing. <laughs> Back then, when when that came out, uh, $22 million over five years. So what is that? Like, um, like four... Uh, 4.1 million dollars uh, a year uh, yeah, yeah so it's around four million dollars a year and the Pentagon's budget at that time was 600 billion dollars which is six hundred thousand million dollars and so 20, we're talking about four million versus six hundred thousand million it's nothing it's it's a tiny little exactly. uh, it's an accounting error in fact they have much bigger accounting errors. <laughs> in the Pentagon than, than $22 million. It's, it's essentially meaningless. It's like what they spend protecting the horned toad in uh, in Edwards Air Force Base. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tiny little drop in the ocean just given to Harry Reid to keep him happy. Yeah. Uh, but it's had this large effect because it gives it the stamp of officialdom. Even though the, the stuff that came out of this program was largely nonsense, you know, they, they did basically a, a bunch of studies uh, where they asked speculative scientists to write speculative papers about what might happen in the future. And people said, well, maybe we'll have warp drives and here's some equations and we could go really fast if we had warp drives, but we probably won't because it requires exotic matter. Uh, and then then they had like um, people studying UFOs apparently under, under, the, under the hood. But what actually came out of that, they've only got $22 million dollars. Yeah. How much money can they spend doing their investigations? They really haven't done done anything that seems very impressive. They've perhaps collated a whole bunch of accounts. So we've got you know kind of nothing came and, out of it really. And like any blogger can do that. Like it, <laughs> it's it's not very impressive. Like anyone can can compile a bunch of interesting eyewitness stories. Like that's nothing. Yeah. Well, they they, they probably have some access to classified mm. information. Uh, which is a little bit worrisome in itself because a lot of the people who are involved in this are a bit uh, a bit kooky. Like, They're you know, a Robert bit Bigelow, weird. He's got these he's got these strong opinions that aliens are amongst us, and he said this himself. And he's he's he had these strong opinions about Skinwalker Ranch and, and paranormal things. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you know, but like the FAA has a little paragraph in the their far aim regulations. What is the FAA? What was that again? The FAA. What is that? The Federal Aviation Authority. Okay. Yeah, the people in charge of, of air traffic in the United States. Uh, and they have all the regulations for the planes and pilots have to have to follow. So it's the, the, the federal government's aviation authority. And they have a paragraph in the, their, their, their regulations, which were referred to as FAR AIM. It's, two, it's actually two sets of regulations. Hmm. Uh, the I think it's like the Federal Aviation Regulations and the the airman information manual or something like that but two different things combined together they have a paragraph in there which uh gives instructions for what to do if you see a ufo i mean not a lot of people know this there are actually federal government instructions for what pilots should do when they see a ufo and what it says is if you want to report a ufo don't report it to the faa report it to a ufo reporting organization like, for example, and they give a, uh, uh, a, a, the National UFO Reporting Center, New, New Fork, I think, hmm. which is just you know, one of these organizations like this one called MUFON, which uh, is wild. Let, <laughs> yeah, it lets people uh, send in a report of a UFO and then it goes in a database and then nothing is ever done. Now, the, the interesting thing about this is that you, know, you look at this now and it, that's all it says. It says, you know, don't call us, call one of these things. If you think there's a, a risk to life, call local law enforcement, but you don't call the FAA. Now, back in 2014, this, this paragraph was a little bit different. Back in 2014, it says, if you want to report a UFO, uh, call a UFO reporting center like Bigelow Airspace. Hmm. And then he gave a phone number for Bigelow Airspace Advanced uh, Aerospace Science Center. And Bigelow Airspace has somehow become the go-to reporting center for UFOs. It somehow got it into the FAA that they should direct all the UFO reports to Bigelow Airspace. So you've got this, these weird connections of, uh, of, of Robert Bigelow, this, this, this millionaire, kind of inserting himself into things. 
Now, of course, around the same time as that was happening, Bigelow Airspace was running ATIP. So you might think, oh, it's kind of a reasonable thing to do because they're doing ATIP and ATIP is looking at UFOs secretly. Uh, The FAA should send their reports to them. But you go back before ATIP and you look at the version of that regulation before that, it doesn't say Bigelow Airspace anymore. It says uh, if you want to report a UFO, report it to uh, NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Sciences. And NIDS is the single point of contact for reporting UFOs. It actually says this in the FAA Mm. regulations, that NIDS is the single point of contact for reporting UFOs. And NIDS is an organization that was set up, uh, I believe, in 1999 by Robert Bigelow to study (laughs) UFOs, cattle mutilations, Uh and ghosts. Oh, perfect. So there are three reporting forms on that. There's one reporting form for UFOs, which is the official FAA reporting form. There's another one for reporting cattle mutilations. <laughs> and then there's another one for reporting entities. And the entities reporting form is essentially a reporting form for reporting ghosts. So you've got this really weird connection where the federal government yeah. has within its federal regulations the contact information for a paranormal organization, which is collating reports on uh, cattle mutilations, uh, ghostly encounters, and and UFOs. Yeah, that's, that's you know, fucking it's something wild. That it's kind of resonated through what's been going on, and you were still seeing the tail effects of, of this. Robert Bigelow's fingers have been you know, all over this, and I still continue to be uh, having an effect to this day with the UAP task force and now the UAP report. That's so fascinating. And what it reminds me of is John Ronson's uh, research and, and reporting in his book, The Men Who Stare at Goats. And basically what he does mm-hmm. is he he shows that kookiness like goes all the way up. Like it goes all the way up the lines of power because people there, there's kind of this implicit appeal to authority fallacy in in all of this stuff like oh well this is a a pentagon person they don't have the the same glitchy thinking the the way normal people mm. do because they have the expertise and i hear this all the time uh when it comes to pilots like oh pilot you know air force pilots they know they know what they're looking at and they know what they aren't looking at and they you know have years and years and years of experience and there's kind of this implicit appeal to authority fallacy in all of this stuff like yeah christopher mellon oh this you know he's he's a pentagon official or whatever surely he can't be delusional like the like the rest of us surely he can't have cognitive glitches like the rest of us he has to be able to think more clearly because of his position of power and the reality is and and i think john ronson in the men who stare at goats displays this really well intelligence and power and prestige are no inoculations against delusion like those are like glitchy thinking and and cognitive biases is a human feature that can affect anyone no matter how intelligent or educated or powerful they are and that's really what this makes me think about is is this assumption we have that people in rarefied positions like the pentagon can think more clearly than us and i th- I think that that is just not true. <laughs> yeah, it it is. It's interesting because to some degree it is true because I think people who are in certain positions think more clearly than the average person. Mm-hmm. But uh, the average person doesn't think very clearly at all. If you if you look at uh, you know opinion polls on a vast array of subjects, uh, it doesn't take much to raise above the average. I mean, half half of the people in America are, are above average intelligence. Uh, so it, it's but a lot of the people that we're talking about who are in positions of power uh, or or in some position of authority. Uh, the thing about that is that being good at one thing doesn't make you good at everything else. And this is a kind of a fallacy that individual people themselves fall for. They think that because they're very intelligent and they've been able to figure out something uh, very well, say they've got a PhD in something, which means they wrote a PhD thesis 
which was a, a very great examination of some subject that perhaps moved the science forward a little bit. And they were able to defend that thesis and uh, they got their PhD. Yeah, that means that they're a genius and they can then take that, that genius and they can apply it to any subject that they like. Mm. Um, there's a very funny cartoon by uh, Saturday morning breakfast cereal, SMBC, which is about a couple who have a pet physicist and the, the pet physicist that they, that they keep in, uh, in the house with them. You know, essentially, it's a dog, but it's, it's a pet physicist in this cartoon. Starts talking about things outside of his knowledge domain. He, he stops talking about physics and he starts talking about social sciences. And he, he talks, starts talking about economics and he starts talking about um, uh, biology. And they get concerned because you know he, he doesn't normally do that. And so they take him to the, the, the physicist vet. And the vet says, oh, this is just something that happens uh, with old physicists. And uh, you know, as they get older, they, 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 they branch out into other subjects because they think that you know, their knowledge applies to, to all subjects equally and they don't realize that they, they should stick to the things that they know. And it's sad, but uh, you know, just let him enjoy life. He's only got a few years left. Uh, and uh, they you know, essentially have to you know, say goodbye to their pet physicist because this re represents the, the end stage of his life because he started to become a bit of a bit of a crank who's <laughs> delving into other subjects. Uh, yeah, I, I recommend looking up this, this, this cartoon. It's pretty funny. That's hilarious. But, yeah, th yeah, this is something that that's, is, is a problem. Like you, you, you see it all the time. People have these huge opinions of their own intelligence. And they feel that they are correct, uh, but they feel that they're correct not really because their analysis is is super good, but be, because this, they feel that their assessment of of the evidence points at a certain thing based on their their experience. Uh, and like you said, you get it with 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 people like pilots. Uh, pilots, you know, they're very highly skilled at flying planes. And then they think that translates to being highly skilled at spotting UFOs and, and figuring out exactly what they're seeing in the sky because they're, they're not prone to, to illusions. Uh, but, mm. but they are. And this has been actually shown. One of the, the famous old school UFO debunkers turned UFO advocates, J. Allen Hynek, uh, found out, did a study, I think, or looked at studies that, that said that pilots actually make worse observers of unusual things than ordinary people because pilots are so primed to seeing things in a certain way. You know, when you're a pilot, mm. I mean, I've done some flying, you're trained to scan the skies and scan your instruments. You have this scan pattern that you do and you're, you're trained to spot traffic. This is a very important part of flying is, is you know, ATC will tell you like, you know, traffic three o'clock, 300, uh, you know, 2,000 feet above you. And uh, you're supposed to look for that traffic and then spot it and then say traffic, uh, traffic in sight, uh, no issue. And uh, this is this, this thing you just do over and over again. You're trained to spot other planes. Then something comes along that you've never seen before. You don't know how far away it is or how big it is. You tend to just fit it into whatever your mental framework is and you think you've, you've figured it out. You think it's like the size of another plane moving like another plane, but maybe it isn't. So That's you know, being good at one yeah. thing doesn't make you being good at at everything. Yeah, absolutely. Something, something new and unusual. So in the time we have left, let's fast forward some to 2021 and the craziness in the news right now. So let me see if I can articulate what's going on and you can correct me if this is right or not. So in the COVID relief bill that Trump passed, he there was this little thing smuggled in there that the Pentagon should release a, a, a thing, a statement. I don't know what exactly it is about, you know, information on UFOs. And so that's what's happening this month. I am record. We are recording this, by the way, on June 22nd uh, for uh, uh, for anyone who's listening to this after the fact. And so this thing is due this month and the Internet is losing its goddamn mind like it, it is it, yeah. it, because this myth of disclosure you know and I don't mean myth in a derogatory sense I mean it's like there's this there's this story in the zeitgeist about the government having information and 
inevitably it's like there's you know the return of christ there's going to be the disclosure and when we enter this new world this this new era in which we all have the secret information about what's actually going on what's really going on in the world and it will usher in a new era and so it's almost like this mythology that the internet is telling itself right or certain corners of the internet is telling itself right now Yeah, it wasn't just kind of inserted in the COVID relief bill. It was essentially Marco Rubio got this language put into, uh, I think it's some kind of like a committee uh, uh, comment, like the Intelligence Committee, the the Senate Intelligence Committee puts these little documents together. And I, I can't remember, they're not exactly the same legal standing as a bill, but they essentially are because they're kind of like directives and that got put into uh, another bill, and then that bill was was kind of discussed, and, uh, and then that was all folded into an the, an omnibus bill. Uh, so, and and that is what got passed by by Congress. So, yeah, no one looked at this this language, no one voted on it, um, no one even considered it or cared about it because it, it it had no budget and it had no financial impact, and, and it was just you know just one of those thousands of things, literally thousands of things that were in this omnibus bill, the omnibus spending bill, which was part of the whole COVID release package. And it was signed back in December of last year, 2020, by Donald Trump. Marco Rubio got that essentially from uh, Chris Mellon. You know, Chris Mellon were, gave him the initial language for that bill. And this is something that's it's, has been verified, like Tom DeLong tweeted about it. This was back when Chris Mellon was working for Tom DeLong. Hmm. So Chris Mellon, you know, UFO enthusiast, uh, working for Tom DeLong, another UFO enthusiast, works with uh, Marco Rubio for some reason uh, to get this this language <laughs> inserted, which re- all it does is, re- well, it's, it's, it's quite, quite a lot of requests. And it's quite detailed what they're actually requesting. It's requesting a report on what the government is doing about UAPs, you know, the official term for UFOs. So it's asking uh, what what are the the processes that we use to investigate them? What investigations have been done? What evidence do we have uh, that people have been looking at? And uh, what would be the procedures we use in the future? What would be a single point of contact for discussions about this? It asks a whole bunch of questions, which are all going to be interesting to see how they they answer them. But it doesn't assign any money. It gives no budget to it. And it does say within 180 days. And that 180 days runs out by the end of this week. Yeah. So people so it's are going to come out. Towards- yeah, that's crazy. And so I expect that it will be out by the time this episode airs. I'm going to try to like book it on editing this episode. And so it's timely. Um, what do you yeah, expect I've, to I've see? Heard- I, I expect to see a, a list of cases. Now, uh, Marco Rubio was recently asked about this. He was stopped at the airport by TMZ yesterday, I, I believe, and he was asked uh, what's going to be in the report, essentially. And and he replied that uh, people are going to be disappointed. That it's, it's a list of here's things that we can explain, here's things that we can't explain, and uh, a lot of things that we can't explain are going to be in the classified section because it involves technologies and techniques hmm. that are secret. That's basically all he said. That's all Marco Rubio said. Yeah. Uh, but he also said that if there's something spicy in the classified section, there's no way it's not going to leak, uh, which is probably true because mm-hmm. lots of people have access to what's called the classified annex, which is essentially a, a database, an online database. Uh, that you can either go and look at or access through a secure network. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, that will contain like the more interesting cases or perhaps less interesting cases. We don't actually know. There could be like really boring cases, but because they involve, <laughs> say, the, the Spy One radar, the latest version of that, then they, they don't want to talk about the glitches on the radar or the possible ways it was spoofed or, or, or even just the way it was used 
to observe what they thought that they were observing. So there's going to be this classified stuff. It might leak if it's really interesting. But I think it basically that's what's going to happen. We're going to get uh, lists of cases and we're going to get them saying, oh, there are cases that we can't identify and we should do more work to figure out what these things are. Uh, they're definitely not going to say it's aliens. They've already said there's no evidence of aliens. They said they can't rule it out, but that's just completely nonsense, meaningless, uh, pointless statement that's just prompted by people saying, can you rule out aliens? And then, well, how can you rule out aliens? No, of course we can't rule out aliens. Yeah. No <laughs> evidence of aliens. It's like saying, well, we can't rule out, you know, chaos dragons. We can't rule out, you know, yeah. angelic intervention or the Holy Spirit or what have you. I mean, it's, yeah. Exactly. So it's going to be interesting because I'm personally interested because there's a number of cases I spent some time looking at, and I'm hoping they will actually talk about that and get more information about it. And hopefully in some cases, explain what they actually are. That would be great. But because it's a program that has no budget, and essentially it's going all the way back to Bigelow in the 90s. This is his legacy right now. has has gone over through time. And now we have this. We have a UAP report. The UAP report has no budget, so they're going to base their report on the UAP task force, which is it's essentially like a couple of guys in an office in the Pentagon somewhere who have been tasked with collating and analyzing UAP reports and UFO reports. And they, in turn, will be using the work of ATIP, which essentially was the UAP task force uh, back in the, in the 2000s. And uh, and they essentially you know, they were they're influenced by Bigelow, and they've had people in that program who were working for Bigelow back in the NIDS day, like people like Hal Putoff, you know, a scientist who was studying what you were talking about, the men who stare at goats, uh, Project Stargate, uh, the 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 American response to what they thought of as being the Russians. Uh, developing psychic powers, mm -hmm. you know, which in hindsight we know to be complete nonsense. Mm -hmm. But back then they were they they thought it might be a real thing, so they thought they'd better have a program studying these things. And so they had people like Hal Putoff, and then they brought in people like Yuri Geller, and they studied Yuri Geller. Yuri Geller is just a stage magician who pretends to read people's minds and notorious tricks fraud. can do. Yeah, and for yes, people, exactly. by the way. I think it was James Randi who did a whole expose on him. For people who who want to see how this stuff works, like psychic phenomena, go go onto YouTube and just look up Uri Geller and James Randi, and it's pretty awesome watching James mm -hmm. Randi work. It's really really cool watching him debunk these you know complete charlatans, and to think that Uri Geller was able to fool the u.s military <laughs> where they you know they were studying fucking studying but, him but yeah there, that's that's the thing though you say he fooled the u.s military and that's well, that's what people get upset about they say how could the pentagon nah. be fooled by your ego and now they say how could the pentagon not know what these ufos are how could the pentagon like be fooled by this this flashing green triangle if it's actually a plane hmm. it's like mick versus the pentagon that's not what it is. You know, these these little programs like the Project Stargate was, I'm sure, something that was widely derided within the Pentagon by 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 many people because it's obvious, ridiculous nonsense studying psychics. And right now, it's the same type of thing. We've got these little programs, Harry Reid's ATIP program and Bigelow's ATIP program and the UAP task force. They're just little things like two guys in a room. Uh, it's not the Pentagon. That's interesting. It's two guys in a room. That's really interesting. So to if I'm like understanding you correctly, the Pentagon is such a huge, huge, huge thing with so many people in it that we can't say, oh, there's this there's this one tiny little, you know, program with like two dudes in a in a basement somewhere just doing their thing because they managed to get some money from a beleaguered upper person or whatever that is not we we shouldn't say that is the pentagon saying x that is the pentagon condoning exactly. x it is it is like this okay so that's actually really really helpful in a way it's kind of like the pentagon begrudgingly allowing the civilian politicians to do their thing the pentagon works for us they work for the politicians uh, yeah. essentially who are our proxy 
And so when politicians tell them to do something, they have to do it. If they, they're told to start a program to study UAPs, they, they have to do it. If, it's, if they're told to put it out to tender and pick whoever applies for it, that's what they have to do. So the Pentagon didn't decide, oh, we'll get Robert Bigelow to, to study UFOs. The Pentagon was directed by a bill created by Harry Reid and uh, Daniel Inouye and uh, Stevens to do this, and so they had to do it. So they they, they set it they they set it up and put it out to tender, and Bigelow jumps in, yeah, and says, "Okay, I'll do it." And so Bigelow does it. Pentagon isn't doing it. Yeah, Pentagon just provides the framework uh, for it to happen because they were directed to do it. And right now, the Pentagon is directed to do a UOP task force, directed to do a UOP report, it's the same thing. Doesn't mean they're taking it seriously. The Pentagon is a serious organization and they, they're they very good at uh, like forward-looking um, things. They do loads of papers all the time on, on, on forward-looking uh, things like uh, uh, you know, what, what warfare will be like in the future. The, the, they, they consider that a lot. I'm sure they do a lot of work hmm. on drones. You know, maybe they don't do enough, but they certainly, you know, they're doing a lot. And it's not like they don't have programs to do things. Like the Pentagon has a multi, multi, multi-million dollar program on exploiting foreign technology, hmm. which is the type of thing that the ATIP supposedly is doing with UFOs. Uh, why wasn't it just you know, given to the people who actually know how to do this thing rather than a bunch of, of, of random guys that uh, Robert Bigelow put together? If you're already spending hundreds of millions of dollars on the foreign technology exploitation program, why can't they just like have the foreign technology exploitation program exploit UFO technology? It's uh, you know again, it's there's this disconnect hmm. between the magnitude of what we're talking about, like contact with aliens and amazing technology, and the Pentagon's response. So it's not the Pentagon; it's it's civilians kind of manipulating the Pentagon and the Pentagon being oh my god <laughs> and uh, having to go along with it. That's so fascinating, and I think that that's. A really helpful thing to realize that I think in the public eye, these these massive institutions like the Pentagon are much more co. They see that they appear, or or we have this this vision of them being much more cohesive than they actually are, or or much more like Pentagon speaking with one voice. It is it is the Pentagon. If there is this tiny program in it, then that means it has the Pentagon stamp of approval and. You know, that when the reality is these institutions are much bigger and much more complex than they Mm -hmm. than we tend to think. Well, yeah, for people who uh, want to find your work, where can they do that? Well, probably the best starting point is my website, uh, Metabunk, metabunk metabunk.org. You can also find me on YouTube and Twitter at Mick West. Perfect. Yeah, everyone go check out his stuff. It is super cool. And we talked about this some last time, but what I so appreciate about you is that you aren't derisive. Like you you aren't mean. You are very respectful and I think that goes a long way when it comes to discussing stuff like that. So I think that's important. Yeah. Well, it's very important to communicate, I think, with people and not just simply dismiss them out of hand. Mm. If they have completely ridiculous ideas, though, I think uh, uh, that, yeah, perhaps a little bit of derision is, is, <laughs> is justified if they if they persist. Absolutely, but, uh, the opening thing should always be to to talk about it and try to figure out what's actually going on. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, Mick West, it is great talking to you again. And you know, who knows? Maybe someday the aliens were a- will actually show up in front of an iPhone camera. In which case, you know, we'll have you back on to uh, right. talk about that. All right. Well, that is it for this show. The music is by the Jelly Rocks and Eleventy Seven. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. This show is edited and produced by Dante Salamoni. It is written and performed by me, Stephen Bradford Long. It is a production of Rock Candy Recordings. As always, hail Satan, and thanks for listening. Sisyphus and the boulder Getting mixed up messages Out here pushing for closure Sick of being told to Get ass, get cash, get blasted Up to the casket, knows you Bought and sold to stop the broker Like commodities, just a product of the culture Life's on a missing poster Funny how I've never seen a couple World peace from a holster Yeah.
Show up on TV too. I could break time. 